Oh, boy. Yeah, so tonight um, I was just kind of praying about what I, what the Holy Spirit wanted me to, to share. Um, and I've got this kind of message that's been brewing, uh, and he's like, no, not that. I was like, darn, really? Um, what do you want me to share about? And um, I just really kind of felt that he was highlighting um, the fact that Jesus is the Word of God. Um, and then where that comes from is uh, John 1, 1 through 5. I don't know if somebody want to get that one out read it. Oh. Somebody want to read that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. <clears throat> so yeah, basically, um, the highlighted verse is one. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, yeah. So what it's talking about there is Jesus. Um, and it's John prefacing Jesus coming, and prefacing the story of Jesus I mean. The gospel, according to John, is the story of Jesus. So that's that's the way he prefaces him, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, we think like he's the Word of God. So what exactly does that mean? Is that what does that mean? Basically, it means that Jesus is in the Bible, and Jesus is the Bible because this is the Word of God, right? So we talk about this being the Word of God, and Jesus is the Word of God. So this is Jesus, and so um, yeah, it says that this means Jesus is the Bible. He is in the Bible, and he is the Bible. So it's not just that he is the Bible, because it kind of becomes really abstract if you think, oh, he is the Bible. Well, that's kind of weird. I mean, you look at all the stories or whatever. Uh, but he's in it. So there's there's different ways to kind of apply this. I mean, you think, oh, well, that's a nice thought, but, but what does that actually mean? Uh, different ways. What it means um, is through the Old Testament, it kind of, through like, I mean, genealogies or whatever, stories that seem like somewhat superfluous, is you can look through, look for Jesus in those stories because he's in those stories. And, like, the purpose of those stories is to explain Jesus and, like, show a portion of who Jesus is. Um, so that's, that's one really cool um, aspect of that, that idea. Um, another one is also when we spend time in the Word, we spend time in Jesus. So <laughs> that's, I think that's really powerful. Is like you want to get connected, you want to get closer to Jesus than spend time in the Word, because uh, he's in here, and he, this is him. So you're going to find him, and he's going to reveal himself to you through the Word. Um, and usually it's really powerful, especially when you look at it from that perspective. Um, in Second Corinthians, it talks about there being a veil over the Old Testament, um, and that veil is lifted because of Jesus. If we look at it from the perspective of Jesus, then we're no longer... Uh, confused about the law or confused about um, the stories because Jesus explains them and it makes sense through Jesus. Uh, so that's that's one really cool, another really cool um, application. Uh, and another, a third one, is by reciting the word, memorizing the word, and like and speaking the word, we're memorizing Jesus, we're re- reciting Jesus, and we're speaking Jesus. So, <laughs> is if you... Um, like have a hard time 
talking to non non believers or even even believers about Jesus is just start quoting scripture because Jesus that is Jesus. I mean, and like there's there's some things of like different <laughs> passages you don't want to quote and it's like oh well that's Jesus. Well, you just take a random passage, but you take these these verses that mean something to you and you're like oh that's highlighted and find Jesus in it and he, he usually he shows him shows up. Um, and then that kind of takes us to uh, Colossians 1, uh, verses 16 through 18. Uh, this continues to kind of explain more about Jesus being the Word of God. Uh, somebody want to read that? Uh, Colossians 1, 16 through 18. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Mm-hmm. For in him all the fullness of God has pleased his love. Yeah, so um, is really highlighting verse um, 16. For by him, it's talking about Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Um, and so that kind of says something about everyday life is that whether you're a believer or not a believer Christ is in your life because he's in everything and he is everything well he is everything that's kind of not necessarily what what it's pointing out but rather that he's in everything and that all things were created through him and that without Jesus there is no creation without Jesus there's not really any God um, which is kind of an interesting uh insight into like I think the Trinity of where we take the Trinity of like okay well what exactly how can they all three be one is they can one of one insight into that is that Jesus was uh, is that God created everything for Jesus and without Jesus he wouldn't have created it there wouldn't really be God without Jesus Um, and another part is 19 um, for it pleased the Father in him, all the fullness should dwell. Uh, so it was pleasing to God. He said, this is pleasurable, this is desirable for me, this is what I like. I like everything to dwell in my son. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and a picture of that is, is us dwelling in Jesus and dwelling with Jesus. Uh, and it's kind of kind of an abstract thought of like, well, I'm in Jesus. It's, I mean, take take the wording of being in the Word is also being in Jesus. So I mean, it's just wording that um, that we're limited to. But if you can kind of get past the wording um, and open up into what what it actually means and what the real implications are of being in Jesus, and then that is pleasing to the Father. So you're like. What is pleasing to the Father? That, 
that's the big question is like, how can I please God? It's, he's pretty big. He's pretty vast. And he's made it very clear in this passage. Uh, is when you take it in context and in context of the whole Bible, he's pleased for everything to dwell in his son and to be fulfilled by his son. So he wants to feel, fulfill you with his son. Uh, and so that is, that's pleasing to him. Uh, yeah. So that's, I think that's, there's a lot of power in that and really understanding that and grasping that. Uh, and it's, it's kind of an interesting, interesting concept to grapple with. Again, it's not something that necessarily is like, oh, yeah, that clicks. I mean, maybe it does, but it's kind of, it's more abstract thinking. Um, but I think that that also means that it's deep. There's a lot of depth to what's going on. Um, and then talking about uh, Jesus fulfilling um, fulfilling things and being the fulfillment um, is Jesus is also the fulfillment of God, the Father, the explainer of God um, in our life. And that passage is John 1, 18. So we'll flip back to John. Somebody want to read that? Get there. One eighteen. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Yeah. So, uh, no one has seen God at any time. Um, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And then Jacob, if you could read Colossians one fifteen. <laughs> back and forth basically we'll be in Colossians and John um, Colossians 1, John 1 kind of the two main texts 115 um, I think that's there's, there's one after that Yeah, right. So yeah, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And some, uh, I don't know, does anybody have a, a for John one eighteen at the end it says he has declared him. It also means that he has explained him um, or exposited him. Um, exposit is to give an account of God. And so God was a mystery in the Old Testament. I mean, that's the story of the Old Testament is God being a mystery. And it's like, what exactly does this God want? And he's, he's going and he's doing, protecting his people. But, uh, and so it's, just, it's a mystery. I mean, it's, it's perplexing. And then all of that comes to grips through Jesus. Um, is taking this passage, 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. Nobody knows what God really wants outside of Jesus. It says, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him or has explained him. So we can understand God the Father through Jesus his Son. Because uh, a lot of the times, I think, in the church, uh, it's hard to understand who God really is. Is because it's kind of a little, little bit 
like up there and out there of like, okay, God over everything. What does that say about me personally? What does he like about me? What does what he have in relationship to me? I mean, what is that? It's kind of confusing because he's big and he's out there. And he has sent his son, Jesus, to explain himself and says, I am a mystery and it's hard to understand me, but I have a plan. And my plan is to send Jesus to become flesh. And Jesus becomes flesh and becomes a man and then therefore understands, empathizes with man and knows man's inner thoughts. Because, not that God didn't, but understands them. And in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who, is, um, who doesn't understand us, but who has gone through the same temptations that we have. So Jesus is the explanation of God. So when you have a question about God or his character, it's like, why would God do this? Or why did this happen? Why did God let this happen? Look at Job or something like that. Or things that happen in your individual life of like, these are tragic things that happen. Why did God let that happen? What is, what is the nature of God? Why does he, um, how does he work? The way he works is through Jesus. And he explains himself through Jesus. So going through the Gospels, looking at all the things Jesus did, his life story, that's the way that God the Father is. The way that Jesus is, the way that Jesus was, is the way that God the Father is, the way that God the Father was. I mean, they're, they're somewhat separate entities, so um, they have, like, different um, either perspective or I don't, I don't know how to explain that, but um, they are different, but at the same time, one at the core. Is their character, their nature is one, and it's the same. Uh, and that's the, it's one, there's just not any more. Uh, so when you, it's like, I don't understand God, is if you want to understand God, try to understand Jesus. Look through Jesus in the Gospels. Look through Jesus in, in the New Testament. There's a lot of really great passages um, about who Jesus was, what he did, what his purpose was, the the essence of what he was doing um, that Paul really had a lot of insight into and he explained in a bunch of different ways throughout the New Testament. And then he's even in the Old Testament. Um, it's definitely harder to find him in the Old Testament uh, just because of that happened all before. But if you're really looking, in deep, looking deeply and asking for understanding and continuing to read a passage over and over again, is you'll, you will find him because he's, he's in every word in this Bible, in this book. He's in every word. And so that, <laughs> if you're like, well, I don't see God in this, I don't see Jesus in this word, is continue to look deeper and realize that that's maybe an area where you can continue to grow. I was like, since I don't see Jesus in this area, I know that the truth is that he is in, the, he is in this area of the word and he is in the whole word, is understanding that. And then like, okay, I look forward to gaining more knowledge later and understanding this passage later. And being okay with the fact that, obviously, we're not going to understand this whole Bible because it's pretty big, pretty extensive, like 1,500 years of history here, as well as, I mean, <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> uh, so, since we can come to grips with the fact that we can't understand the whole Bible, take certain passages and, like, if you, if you need to understand it, mull over. Look from the perspective that Jesus is in this passage, and Jesus works through this passage, and he wants to reveal this passage to me in a special way that's unique to each one of us because we're all definitely unique um, and we'll understand things differently. Uh, and then 
so God, God is a mystery. Uh, and then we'll go on to uh, the second part of Colossians right after um, 18. So Colossians 1, 19 through 22, we could read that. Uh, through 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own, in your mind, so that you're equal to him. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present him holy at his sight without blood and through the activity. Yeah, so uh, highlighting verse 21 is he has reconciled you from your wicked works. He has reconciled you to the Father is um, what my translation says or said, and I'm not using the same one that I looked this up in, but he wants to reconcile us to the Father. That's, that's his mission. That's the mission of Jesus in the Bible. Um, is he, We've separated from the Father from the beginning of the fall to every day that we've sinned. Um, and we've been separated from the Father. And we've fallen short of the Father. But Jesus is there to say, I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to reconcile you to the Father. And I'm going to take these things that, that have hindered you from being with him and I'm going to throw them away. And they're going to be gone. And I'm not going to be able to see them anymore because they're gone. They're covered by my blood. Um, is that's, that's his purpose. And that's the purpose of his through the whole Bible. Um, and that purpose comes from love. And it's love based in his goodness not based on what we've done or what we can do, because he died for you before you were ever born. Because unless if you guys are 2,000 years old here, he died for you before you were ever born. Uh, so there's nothing you could do to convince him to die for you. Uh, there's nothing that you could have done. At the same time, he wants us to be close with him. And one way of being close with him, the way to be close with him, is to keep from sin. And it's not keep from sin like, oh, I don't want you to do these things. Because it's like, but they look good. They may look good, but I know what's best. And what's best for you is to be one with me. And to be one with me, you guys can't have these, this sin in your, in your life. Um, and if you do, then that, that will separate you from me. Uh, and I don't want that. And that's not what Jesus wants. That's not what the Father wants. Uh, and so Jesus' purpose is to reconcile us to the Father. Um, he wants to reconcile us so we step into the oneness with the Father. Um, and then to kind of to kind of finish off um, is this purpose, this purpose of Jesus is glorious. Um, and uh, this, is, <laughs> this is kind of the word that I've been receiving is glory. Continuing to understand more and more about what glory is and what the glory of the Father is. Uh, and it's, it's pretty cool. Um, is what makes Jesus' purpose glorious is the fact that he wants to restore us. And so um, restoration goes along with glory. Uh, and so I wrote down, God wants to reconcile us to him for glory's sake. Uh, when we're one with the Father, he is glorified. So when it says glorify the Father, uh, and I don't have any passages for that, but throughout the Bible it says glorify the Father glorify the Father, glorify the Father. That's kind of a common theme through the whole Bible. 
It's like, how do we do that? Well, you become one with him. If you're one with the Father, he'll be glorified be, uh, to the full extent. That's the full extent of glory is oneness with the Father. And that was shown as an example through Jesus. Um, and there's a ton of passages about the fellowship of Jesus and his Father and the Father being glorious. And um, that's John 17, um, 5, and this can be our, one of our last passages. John 17, 5. It says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So, before the world was, Jesus and the Father were having fellowship, and it was glorious. And they had glory together. And they were experiencing glory together. Um, and now Jesus, having done his, done his work, this is towards the end of um, the gospel, uh, having done his work, he says, Now, Father, I've done the work which you've given me. Now glorify me again. Then what he goes on to say um, later in that same chapter, verse 22, says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, talking about believers, that the believers may be one just as I am one with you, just as Jesus is one with the Father. Uh, so <laughs> what, what Jesus is doing here and asking for, and this is one of Jesus' greatest desires, this is Jesus' greatest desire, is that we be one with the Father. Um, and oneness with the Father comes with glory and comes through glory and it is glorious and so when we talk about glorifying the Father when we're truly glorifying the Father we are receiving glory not for ourselves not for our earthly ambitions but for our spiritual eternal life we are obtaining glory with the Father the, the key word is with the Father because the glory is nothing without the Father because his glory is much greater than anything I can obtain here on earth. Um, and it's permanent, and it's lasting. Uh, and then at the end of verse 24, you skip down a little bit, it says, My glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. It says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, the believers, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So it comes back to love. Is We're talking about glory, oneness, and love. Um, and that comes through reconciliation. And so that is the purpose of Jesus being the Word of God, is so that we may obtain glory with the Father. Uh, and that's a pretty cool uh, sight for me, to set my sights on. It's like, I want to obtain glory with the Father. I mean, that's, that's why I do what I do. And when I fall short of that, Jesus is there to continue to pick me up and say, I don't, you didn't fall, I'm picking you up. And reconciling, continuing to reconcile. And it may be a cycle for a while, and it, it, you continue to grow. And then the final passage actually that just came to mind is uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Um, get it out here. Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen. 
it says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, when we see the glory of the Lord, which is Jesus, we will be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And glory to glory is like, well, what is that? It's from one glorious station with Christ and one sort of intimacy to a new level of intimacy. And he wants to continue to take you to new levels of intimacy. Not that this was um, less glorious, uh, or that this wasn't good, but that there's more glory that he wants to give you, and more glory. And it talks about, I called you slave, now I call you friend, and now we're called the bride. And so from glory to glory, from friend to bride. And it's glorious. Uh, and so that's, that's pretty much the, the gist of um, tonight's, uh, tonight's teaching. Uh, and so continue to, to sit in the glory of the Father and receive the glory of the Father. Uh, and I'll pray to kind of close out before the question and answer time. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for this, uh, this great group of people, Lord. Uh, Lord, I uh, trust and know and pray that each one would receive uh, this message as a message from the Holy Spirit, uh, and that you would speak to them individually in, in their own lives and in their own journeys and walk with you pray that you would show them glory. Lord, you show me glory. Just continue. Uh, glory to glory, Jesus. Uh, I want to continue to experience that. Uh, I just thank you for being you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. kick us off with a question? I think a, a serious question? Okay. You didn't think that was serious? <laughs> Go ahead. See? I knew you didn't have one. <laughs> come on, guys. Come on, now. Alright. I do have one to answer if you guys don't have one to come up with. Okay, go ahead. Notice this one's for you. I'm sorry, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just trying to put the pressure more on him. He's thinking. Uh, if something is bad from one person's perspective but not from the other guy's And it's not a sin. So, so we're clear. Okay. One person's love, it doesn't affect them spiritually. Okay. Another guy. Okay, that's fair. 
Okay. Good. You want to take it? Um, you seem like you're ready to jump. Go ahead. You seem you're ready to jump. Go ahead. No, well, I mean, um, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> Stephen Miller. <laughs> Call the guy. No. no, first of all, so let's be clear, there is absolute moralism, right? Meaning there is absolute right and wrong in the universe. We understand that, right? Yeah. So this is not moral relativity. When it comes to something like what you use as an example, like where that doesn't affect, yeah, like the smoking example. Um, Paul talks about that, and um, the Bible is actually um, incredibly liberal in those ways, opposed to what most people think. Um, Paul actually says that let each be convinced of his own um, convictions that the Lord puts on his heart. I'm paraphrasing. But um, he also warns this. He also says, make sure that what you're doing is not something that's going to cause somebody else to sin. For example, smoking. Make sure that your smoking isn't going to cause somebody else to start smoking, and they're going to be affected spiritually, and they're going to be living in sin, or they're going to be living in question, and therefore they're not close to God, because of your decision to do something that you didn't have to do. So... Um, basically the way Paul says it at the end when he concludes all of this discussion because he has this discussion it's just a different issue that he talks about he finally says I would rather not do any of this for the sake of loving my brother more than loving this thing that I want to do and I'm paraphrasing a lot but that's really what he's saying so right so in short there is, there is great liberty, because there's a lot that the Bible is great about smoking. It doesn't tell us anything about smoking, but you have opinions. So the short end of it is, okay, that's a liberty. Because the Bible doesn't say it's sin, but this is the rule we now abide by. Is I will do it to the extent it does not cause another brother to look at God less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, see, your question, though, is helpful for other people because this issue, this issue comes up all the time in the circles I talk with. Alcohol is a big example, especially as a pastor. Um, pastors always have this discussion. Can pastors drink? And then it goes even further. Some pastors say Christians can't drink. So, um, again, here we go. The Bible never says alcohol is a sin. It says that drunkenness is a sin. But what we like to do is we like to play the Pharisees. We like to put rules around rules to make sure we don't break the real rule. So we usually tell our kids never ever to drink. Well, the Bible actually speaks of wine as a positive thing in celebration, as bringing people together. Um, of course, now, if you're under 21, okay, in America that is sin because that's the law. But... When you get out of high school, um, to learn to drink properly is not... <laughs> <laughs> when you get to that age... <laughs> Brandon said I can drink. <laughs> Great, get your youth pastor fired, why don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same thing with music, you know. It's one of those things. The other thing I would add to that, too, is um, Paul also says that whatever you can do from faith, for you, it's sin. Oh, yeah. So that means, like, yeah, let me let me tell you what that means. <laughs> um, so that means, let's go back to the smoking example. Um, if you smoke and to you, you're questioning in your mind, like, 
God, I kind of feel like this is wrong, but the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, but why do I feel... To you, if you're having that moral check in your heart and you can't do it with full confidence before God, then Paul says, don't do it. For you, that's sin. For you, that's wrong. So, that's another thing that comes into play on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Holy Spirit will guide the Christian and you'll have yeah. that check, that like kind of like discomfort about it. And maybe that's a check that's protecting you from something down the road, that if you did continue in that path, you would go down something that would lead to sin, and God's putting that check in your heart, saying, no, I don't want you going here. You know, It can even come into play in, in very small decisions. Uh, music would be one. I, I love the band Train. I think they're talented. They have some catchy songs. Um, but when I listen to them, and there's not there's not sin in Train, but when I listen to them, I have this thing in my heart where it's like, everything they sing about is getting laid with a girl, just about. It, it's implying it heavily. It's all about girls and love and their form of love. And I started to think, like, I don't know. Maybe this just isn't best for my mind. So I just, I'm happy without it, to be honest. <laughs> I'm living. And see, that's just that kind of thing. Like, I couldn't really listen to it with full confidence that I was totally blessed by God in it. It was just like, eh, maybe it doesn't really matter. Good job. Next hey, question. That was a good question. <laughs> yeah, Hunter. Well, I have, like, a friend that, um, she's, um, she's not Christian, but the only reason she's Christian is she has nothing against God or anything she believes in him, but, um, sort of, the only thing that she doesn't like about the Christianity for pretty much most religions, is how like hypocritical and judgeful they are and such. Is that like is that sinful in any way or is being a hypocrite sinful or is her perspective of Christianity? Her, 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 like I don't like she has nothing against God, just pretty much his followers and not Okay. Well that's that's a that's a multi layered that's good. Okay. So the question is and this is more for the sake of the podcast, because I'm sure you all heard it. <laughs> the question is, a girl has no problem with God. Oh, yeah, you didn't know that? Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sign that waiver. The, <laughs> the question is, a girl has no problem with God. Um, however, she has a problem with organized religion because there's a lot of hypocrisy in it. Did I clear, did shorten that pretty good? All right, cool. Um, I have huge problems with organized religion, religion, definitely. There's a lot of hypocrites in organized religion. Actually, um, there's, there's been a poll that's been done, and the number one excuse, there's a lot of excuses, but the number one excuse for people your age when it comes to Christianity is it's too hypocritical. That's why I have zero problems standing up here week after week and saying things like, if you don't love your brothers and sisters, you are not a Christian. I have zero problem saying that, even though some people get uncomfortable and think that I'm too narrow. I'm narrowing Christianity. I have no problem. You know why? Because the Bible says Christians love people. And if you're not loving, you're being a hypocrite. Poor Kendall. (laughs) should probably move this. And if you're not loving, you're being a hypocrite. And Jesus called Pharisees hypocrites. And in his famous sermon against the Pharisees, where he calls them hypocrites maybe seven or eight times, Every time he talks about their path to hell. So, yes, hypocrites are a problem. 
But that doesn't justify someone's um, desire not to believe in God. Um, it does mean, though, that there's a bunch of people that think they know Jesus, and they don't. That's one thing it does mean. Now, now she has no problem with God. So in other words, she accepts God, but she does not accept the church. That's another issue. That is a popular way to go about God today. Uh, people your age group, especially in college, love God, love Jesus. Big movement. We love Jesus, just not the church. Um, a couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon from 1 John. It talked about the Antichrist who left the church. And the title of that message was, If you love Jesus, you will love the church. Bottom line. Now, what kind of you don't have to love the Catholic church, okay? You don't have to love these certain organized institutions. But the church as the body of believers. Right. If you love Jesus, you will love any collection of true believers. Because we are his body. So to love Jesus, you have to love the body. If you don't love the body, you don't love Jesus. John says, if you can't love the physical Jesus, the body, then you can't love the invisible Jesus. Just common logic there. Yeah, I think an important thing you just brought up is um, defining the actual church because the fact of the matter is, and Jesus explains this very strongly, um, the fact of the matter is that when you go to any church, there's a lot of people in that building who come every week who are not Christians. They are not part of the true church. They're not saved. They're going to hell. Okay? It's true. Um, and in fact, Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus gives different parables about his kingdom. And um, there's, there's a few of them, actually, that talk about the fact that the kingdom is going to be, like, one example is, like, this field where he plants weeds, or where he plants the, the wheat and the tares, you know, and, and, like, the implication there is, like, half is false, half is tares, not true wheat. And I don't know if that's really true or not. Maybe in some churches it is. But um, there's also the parable of the, the mustard seed. It grows into this big tree, and then all the birds of the air come and make their nests in it. Mustard seeds don't grow that big. They don't grow into trees. They grow into something like this tall. So the fact that it grew so big and all the birds, birds represent evil in the Bible most of the time and, and they come nest in it. Jesus is saying, like, there's going to be people who aren't really Christians in the church. You just have to know that. So the whole hypocrisy card, making Christianity a, a fake thing, that just flies out the window. <laughs> Jesus himself said that's the way it's going to be. So watch out for it. Um, so people in that condition that love God but don't love the church, uh, you have to love Jesus to love God. So if, if that girl can't accept Jesus, um, I mean, Hunter, one thing you can do with her is just, you know, kind of like what Johnny's saying is, look, yeah, there's hypocrites, but there are also genuine people there too. Yeah, that's and, what I was trying to say. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And the best thing you guys can do is be that exception. Don't be the hypocrites. In fact, who was I talking to today? Cody, you might have to say this. Do you remember what I talked to you about? Cody, Cody mentioned that, um, or we, I was talking with Cody the other day, and he said, um, well, I don't know if he said it. I think I said it. I said, Cody, if you're claiming that your improvement in life is based upon Jesus' power, then don't, okay, you, if you claim that my change is based upon Jesus' power, you're officially putting his glory in your life. So if you mess it up, you're taking glory from God. So if you don't want to live the whole Christian thing, stop calling yourself a Christian. 
you're blaspheming the name of God. Um, you know, it was really popular on Facebook. You got kids that cuss and do all these kind of mean things on Facebook, yet they have the whole Christian on their religious views. I mean, I don't. I, I, I would love to say you knock it off, but God one day will knock you off. So, just, just be careful. What's the third commandment? But yeah, anyways, what I was trying to say is, so you guys, be legit. Be that exception. There aren't a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah. Steven, whoa, take the mic. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you a question again. You said she's not. Yeah. But she loves God. And doesn't love the church. Um, your relationship with God shouldn't be based on the way other people act either. It's supposed to be a personal like relationship between you and if you were the only one to ever believe in Jesus, that shouldn't matter. Like that's how how intimate your relationship should be. Winner. Good, yeah. <laughs> I believe they're um, just about finished downstairs. I, I think they are. So what I'm going to do is, we'll, um, first week of January, we'll continue this. However, um, I'm going to take Tim's question right now because he actually posted on Facebook like he's supposed to. So Tim essentially, I'll just trim down your question. He essentially wants to know what's up with the role of women in teaching. Because... The Bible seems to say <laughs> The Bible seems to say that women are not to teach, yet women teach. And Tim wants to know, can I listen to a woman teach and be okay? Obviously, no. Almost, yeah. I, no, yeah, that's, that's my question. Okay. Um, for example, there's, uh, there's really good women, teach out there, women teachers out there, like Tim pointed out. A lot of them hit up some good points that guys seem to miss. And um, Joyce Myers is a very good female teacher. I've listened to her. Um, and that girl you can bring it. Struck by <laughs> <laughs> that girl can bring it. Here's what I want to do. Okay, we're gonna go to First Timothy two verse eight. That's where mainly the hot topic of this is. I'll pull out a couple points and come to our answer. First Timothy two eight. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not the braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with, the, with what is proper for women who profess godliness, that is, with good works. So in short, what he's saying here is when the church comes together, men, be modest in your quarreling, okay? No more fighting over the angels should have signed out for pools or not. It's a place of prayer. <laughs> Girls, modesty, not in your quarreling, although that is true too, <laughs> but in your attire. So men, don't quarrel but pray. Women, don't be more modest in your clothing and focus more on good works. Okay? Both of those are crossover too. Paul would obviously say the same thing to each side. It's not like women shouldn't pray, but the men are taking initiative in the praying. Now, verse 11 is where we get to the sticky issue. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Does that mean you're not allowed to speak up? Verse 12. 
I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, guys, you better listen to this whole thing before you start applying these verses, right? Killing, submission, quietness. <laughs> For, verse 13 is reason. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. I've really opened a can of worms here. This must be one of the strangest verses. This is one of the most difficult. And, and Tim had to mention this passage in his question, so I had to go there. The first thing to understand, guys, what Paul has told the women is this. Shut up in church. Learn the submissiveness. Don't teach, okay? That's what he said. Listen, be quiet, and don't teach with authority over men. Why did he say that? Because at that time... Yes, okay. <laughs> because I, I'm trying to keep this short, so otherwise I would love to hear your comments. First reason is this. This is something we're not used to, but girls at that time were illiterate and uneducated. Good job. <laughs> we live in a society where you're going to go to college and you're often smarter than the guys, at least in high school that seems to be the case. Um, but in this time, they were not literate and they were not educated. So it would make sense for Paul to say, ladies, when you go into the church, learn in silence, don't start to debate the men. <laughs> they know what they're talking about. They can read the Torah. You can't. So that's his point, number one. Second reason is that it was believed that the church Paul's writing to here, the women, the wealthy women, were hiring private teachers to come and teach them in their household. Well, you know, housewives type of thing. So while they're sitting around at home, they would teach them. But they didn't know that they were hiring false teachers. And they would take the things that they're learning from these false teachers and start spreading them to the other women as they went to each other's houses. So heresy was being spread in the church. So Paul, to cut the snake's head off, would simply say, women, stop teaching. And the heresy would stop spreading. And of course, the false teachers were easy to creep in because they knew, oh, this woman knows nothing. I can tell her whatever I want. So that's how that whole thing was set up, receiving money to tell them lies, and then they would spread it. So Paul said, stop teaching. And you would stop a lot of heresy right there. So those are the two reasons in context. Now, I look at today, America and women, and you look at those two reasons and you think, well, gosh, women are educated today. They can read. Um, we don't necessarily have these hiring false, private false teachers in our churches and wandering around and spreading the gossip around in the, all the women's homes and churches. Um, that's not really an issue today. Oh, I mean, gossip's an issue, but, you know, this direct thing is not really an issue either. Um, so does, this, does Paul saying women are not to teach apply to us today? That is the question. And my answer? It's a big debate, by the way, but I will show you my answer and tell you why I think mine's right. <laughs> I think that women are not permitted to teach with authority over men, but they're allowed to teach. Here's, here's, my, here's my thing, okay? They are not allowed to teach over men with authority. They can share instruction. They can share information. But they're not to be the authority. Why do you, why do you think that still applies today? Because in verse 13, 14, 
Paul uses a universal application, Adam and Eve. That is contextual today, because women, you're from Eve, men, were from Adam. So that still fits. Man was first, woman was second. So, um, in teaching. So, Beth Moore, wait, who else did I say? Beth Moore, who's the other girl? I said Joyce Meyer. Which one? Maybe I heard Beth Moore. I don't know. Anyways, these girls, <laughs> they can teach. Girls. But when it comes to guys, can a guy listen to them? Yes. A guy cannot. When a guy begins to go to that female teacher as his spiritual authority, we are perverting God's order and creation. When Paul says man first, woman second, his reason was it's not just that sex is a way to differentiate between genders. All right, Sex is actually a priestly order in God's kingdom. Men were designed to be the priests. When God created the garden in chapter 2, it says that he put man in the garden to tend to it. And the garden is intentionally portrayed in Genesis. We'll talk about this when we get to history. The garden is intentionally portrayed to be a tabernacle. It was a place for God's worship and presence. And the man was made to put in the garden. And the language actually talks about the man keeping the garden as if it was a temple. So the man was made to be a priest. The woman came next. So men... We're priests. Now, when it comes to leadership, we are not to dominate over the woman. We're to initiate with the woman. Not dominate, but initiate. So what this means is, when it comes to spiritual things like teaching and prayer, men initiate, but women are more than okay to participate. You get what I'm saying? So a woman can teach but she cannot be the authority. The man must be the initiator and the one over that. So when men begin to come to a woman for ultimate authority, we have then perverted God's system. We put the woman as priest. So I'm okay if Kayleen wanted to share something with us. She's allowed to. But if Kayleen started to take over every week and I began to go to her, Stephen began to go to her for answers, that's where God says, but you're messing up my system. I made the man the priest. Um, complicated, hard issue in these modern times. But that's the way I see it biblically. So, you said like um, authority, that be like a pastor? Good, good clarification here. Um, authority being, if a woman says something, it's like the authority and you can't, you can debate it all you want, but ultimately people look to her as the authority. That wouldn't be good if we're all looking to, like, Kayleen's word for it. But, um, for, yeah, um, I, I had something in my head and it kind of went away. But pastors, now, John, pastors, <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> yeah, you know, Kayleen can be an example to us. We can look up to her and follow her example. But when it comes to issues... We don't sit here and we have debates and Kayleen says, this is what I see in the word, bam. And we all say, she has the word. We would actually look to me or Johnny or Stephen or Spencer or Tim. You would look to the guy who's the set priest over the group. Um, And there's reasons for that. Because when Adam and Eve messed it up, they had an issue with the serpent, right? There's a temptation. What happened there? Adam looked to Eve for the authority. 
And that's when the whole thing fell apart. So that's why Paul uses that example. In those situations, men take the initiative and women participate to come to the true authority. Part of the whole issue over this too is part of the curse after Adam and Eve sinned is part of the curse actually says that the woman will desire to have authority, basically, right? Yeah. And um, and so I think that another reason that God has ordered that man should be an authority is because men actually don't desire authority as much as women do. And so well, good men don't. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's always crazy people. But, um, like, so, so when, when you have men who are put to be in that leadership place, um, what is supposed to happen is that as we assume that God-given role of leadership, it's God who is leading, as opposed to women who typically tend to desire to be having authority. If they're given that authority, um, sometimes it can be more about them than it is about God. And I'm not saying that men don't taint that, because they do. But I think that God um, you know, designed it that man should have the authority because of the fact that we don't desire it as much. Make sense? Yeah. Well, see, though, the president isn't actually a priest over spiritual matters. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm i not going to take that as a spiritual problem if we have a woman president. So, can a woman be a senior pastor? Now, that's a good question. And I, I forgive me for not actually getting to your question there. I was trying to. Um, can a woman be a senior pastor? No. Because a senior pastor usually makes the authoritative calls, I would say that would not be appropriate. But can a senior pastor have a woman pastor on staff? Some women teach much better than men. And if you need someone to run your children's ministry and there's no men to step up, I'd take a girl. Because there's absolutely, you know, I mean, it's, and in fact, this might be controversial. I would have to maybe pray more about it, but I would think that, yes, to an extent, a woman can be a pastor. To an extent. As long as they don't have that authority over men. <laughs> okay, before, before this goes out of control, let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for using your son, Tim, this evening. And I pray... God, indeed, let your word come and saturate our hearts that we may have Jesus saturating us. So help us to find Jesus every time we open the Bible and turn a page. Bring your Son to overwhelm us with love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.